Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never gonna happen. I don't know if this is gonna be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a, a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, well, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better app. This is no big deal, a sales podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of the No Big Deal podcast between me and Jack Nico. Today we've got with us... Uh, Senior Director of Enterprise Sales, Matt Burge at Seismic. Matt's going to talk us through a whopper of a deal, which was easily six figures, multiple six figures. I'll let you tell us how big it is if you want to, Matt. Um, And what we're going to do is talk through how he went through uh, an exact presentation, talk us through how he ran a successful pilot, talk us through how he ran through a very difficult procurement process in what is a really tricky uh, time to sell to procurement at the moment. So just a bit of info about Matt. Matt's been at Seismic for the last five years, started there as an SDR, cut his teeth in the recruitment industry for a few years prior to that for his sins. And um, uh, and now he's been in sales for coming on 10 years. So he's got a lot to share, a lot of actionable takeaways. And what he's going to do today is give us some tactical advice about how to sell huge deals in a down market, running through really tricky finance and procurement processes. How's that sound, Matt? Does that sound like a good intro? Sounds good to me. Very kind. Lovely to uh, lovely to be here. Lovely to see you both again. Perfect. So what I want to ask you is, can you give us, just so that we know this about you as we go through, can you tell us what your best sales skill is? Well, that is a great question. I think that's almost the, the million dollar question. And it's probably the one thing that everyone prepares when they go into their annual review with their manager each year when you're trying to get a pay rise. But um I'd say, to be fair, one thing that that I would probably pride myself on is um, champion building. I think I spend I spend quite a lot of time making sure that I try and understand as best I possibly can the people that I'm dealing with. Um, and I think ultimately, as well, we're in a game where you know the old cliche: people buy from people. You know, with the with with everyone in the world, you know, you need to like the people you're dealing with, but ultimately. That has to be paired with the product, the solution, the services. You know, it's a it's an all encompassing thing. But relationships, I think, are fundamental in in every walk of life, and more so in business, and especially in selling. I think you need to understand very clearly the motives, the passions, the personality of the people you're dealing with, um, and then be able to kind of meet them and have that element of being able to find common ground and understanding. Do you think there's any experience that you've got in your career or, or growing up or anything along those lines from traveling and recruitment and so on that helps you be good at that? Mate, definitely, I'd say so. Um, not to get too deep on the podcast, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm an only child. It's only ever been me and my mum growing up. So I've always been someone that when I was younger, you know, I was kind of on my own. You sort of fend for yourself. Um, and I'd always be out there meeting people. I've always been fairly sociable. I've always wanted to, to make, um, make a point of being... Uh, a big personality, making myself known, and I think engaging with multiple people, all walks of life. You know, I think people from diverse backgrounds. Um, I've been traveling, I've been away. I went to uni on my own. I kind of moved completely away from 
I'm sorry, and went up, up, up north where you kind of know no one. So you're forced into building new relationships, meeting different people. I think all of these things have culminated in building me into probably partly the seller I am today and finding it very easy to speak to anyone, to be perfectly honest, and having that ability to find an element of common ground. You know, you're not going to get on with everyone at every walk of life, but I think it's a skill to be able to sit down with someone that you've never met, be able to hold a conversation, be able to be able to find points of commonality and points of interest, and then try and build a relationship from there. That's such an interesting point. It's almost like a nurture that you've put yourself through throughout your whole life to get to the point where now one of your strongest sales skills is champion building and creating common ground with people. <laughs> the advice out there is anyone that's listening that's very early on in your career, put yourself in situations where you have to build really common ground easily um, with people that you don't necessarily know. Absolutely. I think our, one, our old CRO, Ed, um, we had a big mentor, but he was here around, you know, make make yourself uncomfortable, you know, put, put yourself in situations and get yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, if you are a, a, a more um, shy person, if you're a little bit more introverted, try and get yourself out there, you know, meeting new people. I know, you know, if you look at the London SaaS community today, there's so many different groups of people, you know, people can join. You've got the A's of London Jack that I know is quite close to your heart. And there's so many events that as a seller within this within this environment, working here within London, there's so many communities that you can put yourself in and, you, you know, you'll meet like-minded people. The whole point of this podcast is, you know, to connect with the two of you and other people that are in your position. You know, I think at the moment, sales and selling in this market, in this climate, everyone's all doom and gloom and it is tough. You know, it is challenging. I think it's encouraging for people to know that, you're not in it alone. You know, a lot of companies are finding it difficult at the moment. A lot of AEs are finding it difficult and it's taking, you know, a lot of hard work, resilience. You know, people are having to do double the workload to get a margin or a, a small percentage of the results that you were probably getting, but we were selling in an absolute up market. And, you know, we were selling in sort of COVID times where SaaS companies could do no wrong. So um, I think it's great to be here. I think some of the communities that people can get themselves involved in um, are really valuable. Amen. That's a little plug for the podcast there as well. We use yeah, that with Amazon yeah. now. We're pitching to, our, pitching to our investors. Okay, so um, let, let's let's use that as a good segue to get into the deal then, because yeah, I'm assuming that's going to be one of the main reasons that you managed to get this one over the line. But from from what we spoke about before we started, one of the main things you told us was that the, there's three main parts to this. There's the the um, the pilot, the exec presentation, and the procurement, maybe in a different order. Where's best for us to start? I think if we take it more on a, the, the timeline, so I think the, the biggest or the, the first point in getting us um, firmly as vendor of choice and, and the solution that this fintech company wanted to move forward with was the exec presentation that we had back in January. And that was our first opportunity to really meet with the uh, exec sponsor, the budget holder, and their senior leadership team. Now, um, the reason why I probably wanted to talk about this is I think whenever in sales, whatever you know, you build up to that presentation that you have to the economic buyer and and, and the exec level um, sponsors. It's innate that we all want more time. You know, you're always asking, "Can we have an hour? Can we have an hour and a half? Can we do a half day workshop?" You know, we were given a very small amount of time. We were given thirty minutes to come in, present, and demo in part our solution to three people that were ultimately going to say yes or no to us as a vendor and as a partner. And I think my my boss James, you know, kind of coached me brilliantly throughout this and sort of saying that the time's irrelevant. You know, we, we in terms of being a little bit more vain and, and, and the vanity side of us as sellers, 
We want two hours to go through an end-to-end demo of our solution. We want to show them all the bells and whistles and how great our platform is and how great our support is and talk to them you know, around a long, well-executed talk track. Actually, when you're dealing with people at kind of exec level, they have a finite amount of time. And ultimately as well, you have to believe and trust that they've got teams in place that are going to do their due diligence. And for you to get to this point, you've clearly um, showcased that you are a reputable vendor. You've got a very good solution that they're bought into. <clears throat> the idea of this exact presentation is to go in there and actually speak their language and showcase to them that we're here, we understand your business, we understand your challenges, we know exactly where you're wanting to go as a company, and we are the perfect solution and partner to get you there. Um, and our team did a did a wonderful job. Um, I'd have to call out and plug our sales engineer, Melandra, who did an amazing job. She had 10 minutes to really hit on some of the key points and challenges that we knew this company had. And we showed three elements of our platform. You know, I think both of you have used our solution. You know, we could sit down for half a day and walk through uh, the platform, its capabilities, et cetera. But when you're presenting to these senior people, they really want to know that, have you listened to IT? Have you done your research? Do you know our business? And I think the key thing for us and what stood us out from the other vendors that had that opportunity to present to the execs was we started to use their internal terminology. And that was something that the CRO called out to my champion after is, Matt and the team clearly understand our business. They're using our own terminology. They know how we sell. They know what we're looking to do. And I think for anyone out there, that would be the one bit of advice that I certainly took away is understand the acronyms and the wording and the terminology that people use internally. I think as SaaS vendors, we're always guilty to use our own internal acronyms. And as seismic, we have many. I know at Salesloft, Jack, I'm sure you have many as well. Um, being able to speak the language of your customer or your prospective customer, I think is absolutely key, especially when you're presenting to the execs where you may only have a finite amount of time and you've got to kind of quote Eminem, one shot in front of them um, to really stand yourself in, in good stead. Banging. Yeah, banging. So like, let's say I'm going into a, I've got an executive presentation on Friday and I've got my deck ready and it's an hour and a half long. And my presentation, I've got, and we've got our sales engineer ready. What processes do you go through to get that presentation down to a more concise format and to get the language of the customer ready to go? So there's, there's two main things. I think, look, everyone knows this, but not as many people do it as, as often as they should do. And I think practice the pitch, practice it, practice it, practice it, practice it to your boss, practice it to your teammates, bring in your VPs, bring in people from professional services. I think nail your pitch, be concise, be direct, and be considered with the time frame that you have. Time yourself. You know, I'm for those, for those who know me, they do know I do like a good chat. I could sit down probably with the two of you in the right. pub, but we could be there now. We could leave at last orders. Um, I think be mindful of the time. Time yourself. You know, Make sure that everything you're saying is having the impact you want it to have. That would be one thing. So practice, practice, practice. Um, the other thing is what I think, present your pitch to your champion. You know, I, I've seen a lot of the uh, podcasts that you've done with other people, and there's been massive talk um, around champion building. You know, and, and actually testing, is this person a champion or are they someone that I'm dealing with naturally who's going through the motions? If they're a true champion and they're coaching you on how to win this deal, present your deck to them. Go, look, how do you think this looks? How do you think this would land with your VP? You know, do you think uh, the talk track is speaking to exactly what they care about? And I'd ask them about kind of the, the acronyms and some of the terminology they use. 
that's in essence what we did. You know, I, I sat down with both of our champions, showed them what we were going to run through. Uh, almost did a bit of a dry run to them to say, how do you think that would land? Do you think I should tweak this? And in terms of the deck, are we speaking the right languages? So where we, or the language, sorry. So where we laid out, you know, your key challenges, the key points and our solution, will this resonate with the people we're presenting to and get them to kind of be that sounding board and that uh, sense check. It's also a great way to test, are they a champion or are they just someone that you're dealing with as part of the process? What was your agenda, Matt, for that 30 minutes? Very, very slick, um, to be to be perfectly honest with you. So we had we had three three main areas. So we had firstly what was titled the exec summary, and within that we had their business objectives, their current challenges, and then the seismic solution and results. So what is our solution going to do? And what is the evidence of how we've done this for comparable companies? Then we had the seismic platform. So it was a 10-minute segment for the demo, and it was aligned to three main areas. So how do we reduce the ramp time for your new reps and accelerate the uh, time to first deal? How can we build repeatable best practices at scale? So you're looking at this for your entire B2B sales talk, 1,000 users growing to about 1,700. How can we build in repeatable best practices? And then the third point was growth into new strategic market and geographies. And then the final point was final questions and alignment. So it was three, three main areas. That was it. And it was pretty much five, seven minutes, seven minutes, and then a nice 10 minute chunk at the end to round everything off. Should take a step out for this one for a second. So you, you, this was your first, this was in like your first six or 12 months being in the enterprise role, right? Yeah. So this, this is my first sort of enterprise size deal. Yeah. And this is already fully baked. Like this is well, this is well thought out, well curated, well presented. How did you go about getting an internal AE, the existing AE tenured rep as a mentor to help you with this alongside your manager? Because let's all be honest, your managers tell you 99% of the right stuff, but there's always like that 1% that, that only reps know. What did you do just so that anybody listening can go and ask somebody who's in their team already, I need help with this. I don't know your time is precious, but you've got to give me some time. How do you do that? Absolutely. I think mate, it, it goes back to that point, building lasting relationships internally and externally. You know, I think if you're if you're new to any company, you know, going in there and building relationships, not only with the people within your own team and the three of us, we're sellers. So initially you're gonna walk in and build relationships with the wider sales team, but make yourself available and make a point of building relationships with other teammates, customer success, engineering, professional services, et cetera. But in terms of prepping me for this deal, um, we've got a really good culture here around kind of mentorship. You know, there's a couple of a couple of more junior people in the team that I mentor. There's couple of the senior guys that have been in sales probably the amount of time I've been alive that I see as kind of the gold standard here at here at Seismic. So I think, you know, asking asking for help. You know, I think if you if you work at a company that is truly collaborative and has a culture and teamwork, people will very quickly put their hand up to to help you. You know, I work for, you know, a great boss and I've got a great team. All of them helped me on this deal. So I'd probably say it wasn't necessarily one person and the entire team would come in when needed, whiteboard sessions, deal labs, deal reviews. But there's one guy in the team, um, Luke, who has done these many a times, and he's done them here at Seismic and landed some of our biggest wins in Northern Europe. So I kind of leaned into Luke and said, Luke, you know, you've done this several times already. Can I run this past you? Can I drive on it with you? You know, do you think the language I'm using is is right for the audience that we're speaking to? And that would be another thing that I would just loop back into the final piece on the exec presentation is yes, using the language um, of your customer and the kind of the acronyms that yeah, they use, but 
speaking the language of the people that you're in the room with. You know, I think we always talk about that, you know, dressing for the job you want, talking to be in that that room and sounding assured, you know, sounding confident. I think practicing that elevates your pitch and elevates your presentation to the level that you want it to be uh, and have the impact that ultimately you hope it will have. You know, it's actually something like just looking and I was just jotting down all of the things that you said, and this is like a critical point that I want the theme of like the podcast to be. <clears throat> At not one point did Matt, in that exact summary, talk about what the competition was or did. Like, all he did was focus exactly on how to solve the customer's challenges, what, what, what similar organizations that they had of customers do, and then presented that back to the execs. That's such a good point. I think exactly that. Look, we're, we're all in highly competitive markets, and there are some very good solutions out there on the market. I think if you're spending too much time bashing your competitors, you know, you're that that is the lasting image that people are gonna have. It's not gonna be about you and your your company and what you can do. It's the fact that you're too focused on on the competition. And I think we've we've always taken that stance to kind of separate ourselves. And I would say we have good competitors and also I'm thankful for competition because ultimately it's proving the value of enablement in our space. And I'm sure Jack, you'd certainly say the same at times about your competitors because it's proving that the segment that we're in is having real impact. The the thing is, everyone talks about personalization. Everyone talks about really listening to your customer. Go in there and you know recite everything you've learned about them. You know you don't need to talk about your competition. You can do if asked. You know if, if a question has come up, Matt, how do you differentiate from X vendor? I'd have paragraphs ready to go. Um, but ultimately, yeah, uh, <laughs> test me. Hit me now. Actually, <laughs> test me. I've done. I've done plenty of training on it. But um, you know that's that's not. That isn't going to have the biggest impact, especially yeah. in the time that you have. Can I just say that's such a good point? There's so much content out there, and there's so many, so much advice out there, and so much guidance like personalization. You need to make sure that you know where this geezer went to uni before you cold call him. Blah blah blah. Excuse me, but half of that is bullshit. The personalization that is the most impactful is the personalization midway through the deal cycle. You know everything about this business, and you personalize your pitch and your products to be able to demonstrate it in a way that works exactly for their outcomes that they're looking for. That's real personalization, not fucking. Hey, Matt, I heard you were a recruiter in the past. Like, do you want to buy my phone solution? Like, that's rubbish. It's, forgive me. I'm gonna maybe cut that bit out. But like, real personalization is like halfway through the pitch being like, Matt, I know you used to be a recruiter, so you'll be able to resonate with me. How many times you have to make a cold call during the day? This, this, and this next. That's way more, that's way better in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think, you know, personalization is such a big topic at the moment, and, and it has been for years, and it always will be. But with, with how challenging it is at the moment for business development teams to be generating new pipeline, but also as well, sellers actually differentiating yourself from the competition, you know, personalization yeah, comes, yeah, in many, yeah. comes in comes in many forms, and it doesn't yeah. just have to be scanning someone's Twitter and scanning someone's LinkedIn. But personalization can be: I know your business better than any of my competitors because yeah, I know my reading language. language. Yeah, I, I I can speak your language. I've I've interviewed as many people as I can at your business, not just targeting you know the senior management and the execs. You know, I've met with salespeople. You know, people similar to me, but they're selling your solution, and I understand a day in the life. You know that speaks volumes to executives. Yes, reading annual reports, doing all of your due diligence around their PR and the promo, but one of the, the biggest tools as well as I think that there is a bit of an unsung hero that not everyone does. When you're prospecting any new account, yes, you want to go straight for, for the jugular. You want to go top down. You can land the CRO and the budget holder, golden egg. But I, but I would tell you what, there is so much value going out and interviewing you know, sellers 
and people that are actually doing that role on a day-to-day and finding out what are your challenges, what are you having difficulty with. And you'll find as well that more often than not, give you a realistic and probably honest insight. You know, if you go and ask, typically for us, if we go and ask a, 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 an enablement team, you may be using a um, competitor solution. You know, how are you finding things? They're going to tell you it's great. They're not going to tell you it's shit and they're having problems and the platform doesn't work and the support's terrible unless it really is because they're, they're going to want to protect kind of what they're doing sort of thing. So I think being able to kind of do that bottom up as well has, um, has a lot of value. I've got a tactical example as well on that that worked really well for one of my big deals last year. Maybe me and Jack will do a bonus episode on it and we can talk about our big deals. <laughs> but we had a new like uh, global VP come into a business and he it, he was in his first couple of months. Something I did when I went in my exec summary was I did like a ground up approach, had like multiple interviews with his reps. And he told me on the previous call this was in q1 he was like we're not going to buy anything till q3 i presented back how bad the fires were internally and he emailed me uh, literally after my follow-up email being like we're going to do it this quarter and i think it was just like just to show something because sometimes the execs are so far detached from what the bottom line challenges are of the reps sometimes they just need to be told with examples for them to be like shit yeah 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 100 well, that, that's a perfect segue to this next part then, because you said there, Matt, that this moved into a pilot. So the execs were like, yeah, we approve it, let's go forward. But then they made you, do a, they made you do a pilot, which I'm assuming involves more interviews, more speaking about fires for low level, lower level employees. Sorry, all those employees, I just called you lower level, but you get the drift. Um, so talk us through, like, we, we don't tell us about the heartache that came with that message that got delivered to the individual pilot, but talk us through how you perfectly executed it to make it. Uh, worthy of going to procurement in the next stages. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think look, this this really, I think, was the the key part of getting this deal over the line. And I think ultimately proving the the value and the ROI and the results that we can deliver. And I think this is where certainly selling this year has changed. I think this is where the market is changing anyway, given where we are with the economy and whatnot. Purse strings are being tightened. CFOs are getting involved a lot more across every single deal, whether it's six figures, seven figures, or it's probably a 10K investment. Um, it is paramount now that any new vendor provider, uh, software solution, you're very clearly able to prove the results of ROI that you have. Now, if I think back to, to 2020 and selling in the pandemic, the number one KPI that a lot of people have is adoption. Are people using it? Didn't actually matter if this thing was delivering results. Are people using it? People are working from home. We're managing everyone remotely. We need to see on the dashboard that people are logging in and using the solution. That is way past us now. Um, adoption would always be a key metric, but it's not the one that teams or the buyers or the owners of our solutions are living and dying on. What they're living and dying on is what are the results that your solution is actually delivering us as a business? What is the value that we can attribute directly to your platform that's helping the top and bottom line? And um, albeit the way that we got to the pilot, you know, was 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 a little bit challenging. I actually think think the fact that we've done one and the results that we we're able to prove back to the procurement team are going to stand us in good stead for the lifetime of this contract with the customer. And I think it's going to help our teams now understand when we do QBRs, when we do business reviews, and ultimately when we come to look at contract renewals, we know exactly what the finance and procurement team care about. And in a lot of instances, sometimes you don't always understand that. And that's something I, now moving forward, will consistently want to ask is, 
what really are your procurement team caring about? What are the measurements that they're going to look at us as a vendor on when it comes to things like renewals or it comes to things like upsells? But I think the whole thing about running an effective pilot, a couple of things, you can't do it all on your own. I know sometimes salespeople, you know, we 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 want to be the superstars. You want to put your name in lights. I think know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, and professional services and delivery is not something I can do. So utilize your team. Your team are there for a reason. You know, I think, and I spoke on it a little bit earlier around people that have mentored me internally. We've got a great collaborative culture. We've got a brilliant professional services team. And I think what we were able to do very quickly here was pull together all of the right resources and actually trust people to be able to deliver in their job. So yes, as salespeople, I think you need to be you need to be paranoid, if you will, at times. You need to maintain that level of control. You need to be present. So I was on every single call that we had with the client. Every time our professional services team met with the client, I was there. Friendly face, familiarity. You know the deal and you know the client better than anyone else internally. So when you're preparing for a pilot, you need to be that beacon and that voice to make sure that everyone in the room and everyone that you're bringing into support has all of the information that they need. And if there are questions that are unasked or answers that we need to get, you go and find them out for them. You know, I think when you move into things like pilots, but even when you move into things like uh, implementation as a seller, when you hand over to your professional services team and your customer success team to implement a deal, it's just as important for you to be as visible and as present in that period as you were in the pre-sale. Because ultimately, you know that customer better than anyone that's going in to do the delivery. So I think your role changes from a sales rep to almost like a project manager. Um, and you're kind of coming in there to help support, help guide internally. And you're that bridge between the client and then the team that are doing the delivery. I think the key thing for us was we were able to, to get the right people in. Um, and the other thing as well that helped massively towards the end when we were looking at finalizing the contract and ultimately getting the approval we need is bringing your execs. You know, I think a lot of sellers are often scared or a bit hesitant to bring their execs into a deal because once you do, it's visible to everyone. You know, if you pull your CRO in, Jack, to, uh, to, to one of your deals, it's then on their radar, okay? And for a lot of people, that can be quite intimidating to know that the big, you know, the big dog, whoever they may be, has now got eyes on your deal. But I must say, it pays dividends having your execs part of that process. You know, whether it's a, a, a typical sales cycle that you don't have to do a pilot, bring your executive sponsors in early. Build those exec relationships because they pay dividends when it comes to the end at concluding a contract. The other thing as well is when you're looking at the pilot, having an escalation point. So one of the key things we had throughout the pilot was um, it was a 12-week 12, 12 pilot. So every four weeks, the exec sponsor from um, the client and my CRO, Hayden, and our other leadership team would meet every four weeks to check in on the progress of the pilot. And that is an opportunity then for my CRO to build a connection with theirs. They're starting to build a relationship and build rapport. If anything needs to be escalated, you've got the two biggest people on a call together. Um, and I think that that becomes the key thing is using your team, using the resources that you have available to you. Um, but I think what made this pilot really successful was making sure that we had those kind of executive checking points to keep everyone honest. And then it kind of gave my CRO the confidence to know that we're doing the right things. You know, we're, we're, operate, we're operating in the way that he wants us to. And ultimately, when you come to the difficult parts of procurement and legal, negotiating contracts, terms, et cetera, you've got exec sponsors that know each other, that have a relationship, that have that level of rapport. 
I can help unblock things that might may need to be unblocked. I ask when you've got the when you're asking for these executive check-ins, how because of course they asked for the pilot, so to an extent they are already bought in. We all know what pilot happens with pilots is that the customer is hasn't got any skin in the game really. They want this to work because they haven't paid for it. They're not that invested. How did you get commitment from their executives to continue to turn up to these executive check-ins and continue to keep an eye on the project? So the nice thing about this, and I, and I agree with you, I think two things. Try as best you can not to do free pilots. Make them have skin. Make them have skin in the game. I agree with you. If, if you start doing free, do that. I think again, it comes back to selling almost back in the the pre-sale side on the whole value of the solution and being able to articulate the results and the ROI that you're going to generate and saying that in order for us to deliver this and in order for you to give the time that is needed, you need to have skin in the game. And I think the way that this was working is we retrospectively needed to do a pilot because the way that the evaluation was going and the fact that when we initially were looking at putting this deal straight through to approval and sign off, the market changed, the economy had changed, and the business said, actually, we need to do more due diligence with any new vendors coming on. So we want to test that this solution is going to work. Um, again, I think if you've, if you've got those exec relationships early enough, that often can be a exec to exec conversation to say, our exec saying, look, you need to have skill in the game. I'm going to I'm gonna give you my commitment that my team are going to be here and support you throughout the 12 weeks. I need to know that you are going to allocate team members internally to work just as hard as my team are. And I think that then comes back to you then being able to leverage those exec connections. And that's a conversation ultimately for the execs to have. You know, you're there kind of almost Pinocchioing, making sure that you're putting the right people in the right rooms with said other people. Um, but the one thing on that, I'd say try not to do free pilots, make sure that people have got some sort of skin in the game. Um, even if it's you know, you're not paying for it now and you're paying for it once we get the results that we need, but services and things, you know, should should always be paid for, you know, that that level of service and, and support they're going to get. Um, and I'd say the other thing is we were working with a very motivated team, you know, a team that wanted to do this. Um, and having gone through a whole evaluation with them, the business knew that they needed this and they knew that they wanted this. And more than what, they needed it. So the business users were more than happy to champion Seismic to champion me, um, to push just as hard as I was externally, they were pushing internally to say to their business, to their finance team, to their procurement team, we need this. So allow us to do this. They were, you know, they were great in committing just as much time, energy, and resource as our team was. So again, it it it, it all came together because both teams were really motivated to get this done. Um, that that I think really was what made this a successful pilot. Yeah, good, good advice. I think just going back, I love the exact alignment on that. That's yeah, not something I've too. I've done on a uh, not that we are pilots, say, but yeah, yeah, get someone else, the senior, to say the thing that is difficult. For you to say yeah, just also, yeah, massively. Just on that point, if I may, I think you know our, our, our execs have said it time and time again to us: is don't worry about bringing me in too early because I'd rather bring them in too early and then say, Matt, hold off for a couple of months. I'll I'll come back in at a later date rather than bringing them in too late. I can guarantee you there is nothing worse for your exec uh, sponsor, Jack, whoever that may be, your CRO, your COO, your CEO, if you're bringing them in to rescue a deal 
If you're in second place and you're going for vendor of choice and you're bringing your CRO in at that point to try and rescue the deal, I can guarantee you they don't like that. They, they will do it and they will more than happy get on that call and try and help you win the business. Bring them in earlier. I, I'd soon rather be told by my execs, Matt, this is a bit too early for me to come in. Let me bringing them in to firefight something when we're losing the deal and then we have to do something that's uncomfortable. 100% agree. And it's a good segue to get into the final chapter, which, you know, Matt, you said once you completed the pilot, you had a pretty rigorous procurement process. What, what were your, I suppose, without getting in the, the weeds, the real weeds of it, what were your biggest takeaways from the procurement process? What did you learn? I think it, it, it's a great question. And there's, I've, I've, I've sat back um, while I was away last week kind of thinking about this. And I've, I've got a session with our team uh, later this week to kind of go back and go back through every, every part of this deal. Um, and certainly our, our time of procurement will be one area that we're going to focus in on to take all of the learnings. A lot learned. I think what stands out to me is, albeit this was um, a challenging procurement cycle, I actually think this is going to start to be the law. And although the procurement team kept us honest, you know, and, and, and at times they, uh, they sort of made everyone's heart rates and probably blood pressure go up and down slightly, um, I actually think the way that they operated was I, I can't fault them because ultimately procurement are there to do a job. And I think as a seller, you need to understand that. They're not always a blocker. You know, they have a set of parameters that they need to work to just as much as we do. I think the key thing for me is as early as you can with your champions, with um, the people that have got buy-in for your solution, understand really what are the motivations for procurement. Because although there's a lot of similarities, some businesses and some procurement teams are going to have different measurements. So trying to get ahead of how are this procurement team kind of targeted? What are the key focus areas for them? Because ultimately, when it comes to a negotiation, it's all about give and take. It's all about give and get. You know, there's going to be some elements for them that are absolutely nailed on. These need to happen. There's going to be those elements for us. So I think getting ahead of understanding procurement expectations and how they want to buy software is absolutely key. Try and do that as early as you possibly can. Don't be afraid to ask the same question nine times, ten times, because the eleventh time, you'll get a different answer to what you had the first ten. You may be told, yes, 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 no. Um, so I think be, don't be scared to continually ask the same questions. And every time you're speaking with procurement, your champions, validate, validate, validate. You know, it, it, I, I often laugh at people that I deal with because I'll say, look, I'm going to ask you this question every single time you and I get on a call because I just want to make sure that I have clearly understood everything that is required and everything we need. So I think don't be afraid to ask the difficult questions and ask them at every opportunity because I've had it in so many instances in my kind of early sales career where you ask a question once of someone, they give you the answer you want to hear, and later down the line it comes back to bite you on the arse. So I think continually reinforce, reconfirm the questions, the answers, etc. Um, the other thing I would say as well is as best you can, getting on as many calls with procurement. You know, try and take everything off email. You know, I think, again, it goes back to that part of having familiarity with people. Yes, in an ideal world, we all want to be sat in boardrooms. You want to meet people. We're working with global businesses. You've got people all over the world. But being able to get on a Zoom, even if people haven't got their cameras on and you've got yours on, it adds that level of, um, you know, it, it adds that level of interaction. It gives you that kind of personal touch. Being able to see people, I think, has a big impact. And 
ultimately, what might take you a couple of days to resolve over email, get on a call with someone for 15 minutes, you can hash things out. So the biggest challenge I think a lot of teams are finding at the moment is slippage of deals, you know, deals drifting. Something forecasted in Q2 drifts into Q3, drifts into Q4. As best you can, if you're trying to control control time, legal and procurement reviews can take a long time, especially if you're selling six, seven-figure deals, you're dealing with complex global organizations, try and streamline your engagement with procurement. And I try and put as much of it on live sessions like we're having here today. You know, we've been on the call now for 55 minutes and we talked about a ton of stuff. You know, if you're doing that over email, that could be a week-long conversation. Awesome. We've learned a lot today, Matt. You've given a lot of like great advice, tips, and yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. I've written two pages of notes <laughs> on the call <laughs> of enablement. So hopefully everyone else that listens, I think, uh, in lieu of time, one last question that we have, um, what's your favorite sales memory? <laughs> um, do you know what I would say? I'd say I've probably got two. If I can, yes, I know. Um, I'd say my first one is the first ever deal I sold. I think everyone will remember the first deal you sold as a as a software seller. I, it was tiny; it was a tiny deal. It was probably about four quid. Um, I probably could have put it on my card myself. But um, I'd say I'd say my first deal. You know, my, my my first deal as a as a seismic seller. And then I would say this one. You know, my my first um, deal as a as as an enterprise seller. It's way into the six figures. You know, it's a deal that I've learned an absolute tunnel, um, some great lessons to take forward, you know, some battle scars that I think are only going to help me moving forward. Um, and this deal in particular has been one that has epitomized a team win. You know, we have a we have a thing here in, internally within Seismic that whenever a deal is done, uh, we have a thing called a push fit, where an AE will send out basically a summary of that deal, whether it's an upsell or it's a, you know, a whole new business deal. And as sellers, we always get our name up in lights. You know, we all we always get the plaudits, as, as both of you know. But both of you know, just as well as I do, these deals take a village of people internally. And I think I had such joy in being able to write this pushpin and be able to detail everything that went into this deal and all the people that helped get this thing over the line, of which there's about 50. You know, so albeit everyone thinks, right, you know, this deal, that's Matt's. You know, let's, let's all praise him. Um, there was a there was a sea of people that helped get this one over the line. So I think um, my favorite memories have been my first deal and then this one that I had the privilege of talking to you two about today. 